0: Hello everybody and welcome back to our first lesson on the BSF study in the People of Promise Kingdom Divided. I'm Abraham Lee the teaching leader for the San Francisco region and today we're looking at the nation of Israel and God's plan. We're going to look at God's sovereign plan and design but before I go any further I just wanted to remind you of our website BibleSF.com so if you have any questions about our schedule, locations, how to get our materials contact information or anything else you can always access the information there as you can see uh, the tabs there will guide you into the different um, information that you need and also you can email us at bible at gmail.com last li- week we looked at why it is essential for the believer in christ to understand the sovereignty and authority of god's word it's something that's an uh, ongoing uh, point of tension with unbelievers people who do not accept God's sovereignty and authority will in no way come to God's word with the understanding they're reading into the truth. So last week in the initial introduction of our study, we looked at the authority of the scripture. And here's just a a snapshot of something that one of the leaders sent me as an outline of what we uh, were looking at in the notes, the proven authenticity of scripture the trustworthiness of the Bible and the authority of the Bible in our faith and uh, spiritual walk with the Lord, the practical power of the scripture as God speaks, how God's revealed himself, especially through our Lord Jesus Christ, God establishes the truth through Jesus, and the importance of our always being ready to listen and to heed what he says, understanding the value of the Old Testament studying history god's eternal word the eternal nature of his word because it reflects his heart and his person the significance of the old testament as it applies to how it prepares i'm sorry prepares us in thinking about the arrival of jesus so you know it's all of one piece it's not something that where jesus comes out of the blue with no context for who he is and why he had to come everything is being prepared for us in the Old Testament in in the arrival of Jesus, God's Son. God's purposes and God's plan of redemption is only understood through Jesus. God's preparation for a people is only understood through Jesus, and God's promise of a Savior can only be made sense of through Jesus. So. So you get the idea that anything at all about the scriptures that we are trying to understand can only be understood in the light and framework of who Jesus Christ himself, he declared himself to be. So for this week, uh, we're looking at the purpose and work of God through the history of the Old Testament times. We learn about the truth of God and His design in the beginning, His selection of Abraham to raise up a people who would be a signal and constant reminder to the rest of the world of God's work and plan to send us a deliverer. A big idea from Lesson 1 is that our freedoms and privileges without God leads to brokenness, violence, and death. See, God made us in His likeness and in His image We learn about this in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3. He breathed into us life from His own mouth. We were meant to live on and be sustained by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Our stewardship work that He appointed us to do was unique from all other creation, to reflect His glory into the world and enjoy God forever in that work as we come into new realization of who He is in the work that He's assigned for us so that we can enter into worshipful intimacy with him. The two divisions for us in this kind of broad bird's eye overview is one, that God prepares a vessel through Israel for the transmission of his word. That's Genesis 1, 1 through Kings, 1 Kings chapter 10. And then two, Israel's fracture and faithlessness, which is just an emblematic of humanity's and inability to follow God. And that's from 1 Kings chapter 11 to Malachi chapter 4. And I'm going to start off with a short discussion about how important design is. I don't know about you, but I love to visit nice houses and gardens. I didn't know why I enjoyed this particularly until much later when I was teaching a case on Starbucks entry into the Asian global market for a management class that I was teaching. In the case, it explained that before Starbucks arrived on the scene, coffee was not a popular drink at all, uh, especially in Asia. If you found coffee, it was either offered as a powdered coffee sold in packets with non-dairy cream and sugar, or as a quick takeout from a drip coffee machine in that ubiquitous generic styrofoam cup, Uh, and it was usually just to help you get started in the day the case asked what did Starbucks sell and when I asked my students what they sold my students would yell back confidently expensive coffee and I would yell back wrong I called back to their confused looks of course and they didn't understand that Starbucks actually sold something very different their strategy wasn't to sell coffee as much they sold an aspirational lifestyle by careful design they left nothing to chance And the case went on to explain how this was done everything was carefully planned from the customers first impressions on entering the store to creating a warm inviting place for you to linger and rest a while in a fashion forward interior space that looked like a catalog kitchen you know open concept seating in nice high quality uh, furniture the smells were carefully controlled air conditioning was perfect they played soothing soft jazz mu- music and sold that too while you were sipping your coffee. After a while, people didn't care so much about the coffee as much as they liked visiting the store and meeting their friends there. It was a sanctuary in a very noisy city. Most you know people who work in the city escape the noisy hustle and bustle of life where you could get your sanity back. All this happened because of their careful design. Since studying cases like that one, I've grown to greatly appreciate the brilliance of great design, especially in homes and gardens. Um, Well-designed gardens accentuate to the unattentive person new ways of appreciating God's beauty that sometimes we overlook. For instance, here is an English garden. An English garden is designed to highlight the blooms of flowers, many pastel colored flowers. Uh, probably because the England, like Seattle, has a lot of grey weather most of the year. And bright colors tend to lift up, you know, tend to give us a, a bit of joy to look upon them and the sweetness of their colors. Germanic gardens, however, emphasize structure, symmetry, order, and geometry. It reflects their cultural appreciation of science and math, of structures and hierarchies and industries. A Japanese garden, however, is also radically different from the first two. Japanese garden is designed to appreciate organic form so that if you go to one, say here in San Francisco, you'll find that no path is straight. Nothing is ostentatious or loud. Everything is rather balanced. They work with one another. They're harmonious. And even here, the design of everything is still eagerly reaching out to us to instruct and help us see things that we weren't paying attention to before by design every curve of the road lends new views you know every time you go your con- the road is constantly curving and every time you move along with the road your view changes too so that you notice new things new views and new aspects of huddle of trees a pond under a willow a pagoda among irises japanese gardens aim to declutter and minimize in their design sense so that you can really appreciate simple things like a single blushing maple tree sitting by itself its body twisting and turning as if in a dance you know poised toward the sky their design amplifies a single thing or japanese garden design Amplifies the beauty of the repetition of things, similar things, to help us notice the genius of patterns in God's design. All of these designs help us see things we haven't, you know, developed the awareness or the attentiveness to notice. They help develop our eyes to see. They train us to notice things, important things we haven't understood, haven't taken time to notice deeply in the busyness of an unreflected life. So God tells us in the Bible that He's the master gardener. He prunes and keeps an eye on every branch because Scripture tells us He's keen on seeing us bear fruit. All design reflects the designer. That's why I tell my students, if you really want to get to know someone, uh, try visiting their home if you're invited to their home or evaluate their work if you get a chance to review what they do. You'll notice that a lot of them a lot of them is revealed in the things that they have designed. Likewise, Genesis through Malachi is a design of God's work in humanity. God's law is a reflection of His design. He works even beyond the six days of creation, beyond our fallen and broken selves, and designs teaching moments, even today, to reveal to us who He is and who we are without Him. With Him, we find our perfect shalom, our peace, our flourishing, our greatest purposes. Without him, our purposes turn inwardly to an egocentric, selfish purpose that's self-centered, profane, and vile. Everyone becomes a competitor, an enemy, a threat. And we war within ourselves as much as against each other. And this mad idea that the world is all about survival of the fittest. God's design is clear in his word His design as given in his laws reflect the nature of his person, his loves and hates. God's desires and intentions, they're all revealed in his design. If you really want to know God, go to his house. You'll see him in his temple and in his words and in the beauty of his commands. The reason why Jesus says heaven and earth may pass away, but my words will never pass away, Luke 21.33, is because his laws are a design that reflects his heart and mind they cannot pass away because he is eternal. His moral and spiritual order and design for us will never pass away, even if this world, this earth will pass away because they come from his heart and his very person. So human history is glorious because it reveals we could not do without him. We could not do in the state of bondage and pain and the irrecoverable damage and disease of sin, constantly working away at us. from within and from without, we learn how beautiful through our brokenness is the name of God's name, Savior, Deliverer, Redeemer. No other religion, no other gods can acclaim these, these names for themselves. We learn about the side of God, these sides of aspects of God that we could not know if we were constantly, you know, enjoying ourselves in the original Eden Garden about the existence of this thing called grace and mercy and God's love, things so profound that they really can only be understood by contrast when we are taken away from all of these things by our sin. It's central to who he is, and like the prodigal son learns about the qualities and traits of his father, which were only discoverable by his repentance. We also discover God and know Him more keenly and deeply by our own confessional and repentant heart. These things and the way in which we relate to God are by God's design. So when we look at the passage for this week, please turn with me to Psalm 19, 7 11 which was the first passage. It seems like a, uh, a passage that repeats itself, but it really isn't. So when we read this together and kind of parse out what these words mean, think with me about what it means when it says the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The law is the guiding principle that guides all justice or understanding of our justice. It emanates from God. The statutes or the setup of moral logic behind all righteousness of God are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Making wise the simple. The precepts or the first principles and foundational rules of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands, which are ordering and directing aims and principles, informing actions of the Lord, are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear, the, rever- the reverential view of God that frames all other things, the fear of the Lord is pure enduring forever the ordinances or in other words the ordering of things guiding their interrelationships the ordinances the ways in which we understand how they work and how we ought to obey from god's principles are sure and altogether righteous they are more precious than gold than much pure gold they are sweeter than honey than honey from the comb. And by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward." So you know, the words of God here tells us that they have enormous consequences and ramifications for who we are and our relationship to God. More of God helps us to blossom, I mean, just like a sun shedding its rays on on the petals of a flower. It causes us to bloom. So the psalmist says in 119, 160, All your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. The Spirit gives life. In John six sixty three, it says, The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit, and they are life. How essential it is to walk in the Spirit, therefore, because the Spirit is what gives us life. On another point I want to raise uh, in this discussion is how important it is to understand the Old Testament as we relate to others what the salvation plan is all about. When it's taken out of context, uh, as we usually do when talking about our being saved, a lot of people uh, fall into a great deal of confusion because we talk about the plan of salvation Uh, solely from the perspective of a New Testament reader uh, without talking at all about what happened in the Old Testament. There's a full arc, overarching story that needs to be clear, and that's what question five of the study is looking at. Somehow in recent times with the modern church in America in particular, uh, and with a lot of organizations like Campus Crusades, the plan of salvation, uh, in attempt to to be making it very simply understood, uh, talks about our fall with sin, our need for a redeemer, and then you know, talking of Jesus as the one who redeems. But uh, we don't talk about as the apostles did in the scripture, referring back to the Moses and the prophets, or Jesus fulfilling everything according to the scripture, which means everything that the scripture and the prophets have said about the Messiah had come true and had been fulfilled by Jesus and only through Jesus. And that's what we, uh, question five ha- has us look at. The four overriding concepts of our salvation begin with creation. In the beginning, God made all things, and He made them perfect, especially after His image and His likeness, to enjoy intimate fellowship with Him. Then there was a rebellion, uh, also called the Fall. God made it very clear that only one simple command was uh, prohibition and the sea of many uh, privileges, and living and abiding with Him, but Adam and Eve chose to believe the tempter and defy the command God gave them and that represented a defiance against God's design and person as all the laws reflect God's person and God's character so this sin represented the defiance against the person of God himself when they've defied God it was a very simple command I mean it wasn't asked asking Adam to do something enormously difficult it was something that he could simply understand and get um, not un, misunderstand in any way uh, in regards to uh, just eating, right? Eating of the fruit that was forbidden. So that's less important as the importance of defying and, and distrusting God against some other uh, purveyor of lie. And third, there's the redemption. And God promised a deliverer at the fall in the Garden of God, the place in which God was perfectly radiant in his splendor with man, so that man could learn and kind of in, in ways to duplicate what God had done in the garden for him um, with all the elements that he is learning into the rest of the world. He wasn't meant to re- remain in the garden, he would eventually go out because God said that he was supposed to propagate and fill the earth right? And so you would see the manifestation of learning from God being exemplified throughout the world as they um, propagated and covered and filled the earth. But God sent His Son in our imperfectness and in our sins. He came as a perfect incarnation of Himself. He was born in the flesh to be the atonement for our sins, the perfect Lamb of God, And that lamb figure wouldn't make much sense if you didn't understand how that lamb was so integral in the worship practices of the Jews, the Hebrews in the Old Testament. It showed and it reflected an important promise of God. And then the temple itself was itself uh, radiating the message that God was going to send, an opportunity where a priest, the best priest, the only perfect priest would make a way for us to re-enter into God's presence um, and so uh, we are our, our sins which bound us to eternal separation from God and death was released when the Lamb of God took away the sins of the world and then fourth, there's the restoration that through this very Messiah Jesus we live into the promises of God this New Testament and the ways in which God constantly talks about the kingdom and to live for the new kingdom the future kingdom, the dominion of the king, who will restore all things in alignment into being able to reflect God's perfect attributes. So instead of um, t- speaking of the plan of salvation, kind of uh, without context, it really does have a greater meaning for others if we go back to creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. I know you may have met many people in your life who, who joke about being saved and what am i being saved from they don't really quite understand uh, salvation so they make fun of those words they don't understand what sin is they might use the word sin but uh, sin is a very cloudy concept in their minds without appropriate grounding of sin into scriptural historical uh, principles and understanding So we see uh, in the third day questions how important it is to couch uh, this concept and the overarching story that resides and goes back to the Old Testament in the next set of questions found in Luke 24, 13 to 49, where Jesus meets two disciples on the road to Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. And so they're very kind of discombobulated. They don't know what's going on. They know that uh, two w- women had come back and said that Jesus rose from the dead, but they're not sure what to make of all of this. And Jesus appears to them and explains to them, right? And he says in verse ni- 19 what happened, and uh, uh, they say, Well, it's about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God, and the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we'd hope that he was going to be the one who's going to... Re- redeem Israel and what is more it is the third day since all this took place and then Jesus responds to them in 25 how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory so here again if you ever were confused about how to present the gospel it's you, you see it directly firsthand here as Jesus is bringing And tying all the events of the Old Testament together into a full-orbed understanding of what the Messiah was doing what he came to do what he represented as explained through the words of the prophets and then in verse 27 he says and beginning with Moses and all the prophets he explained to them what was said in all scriptures concerning himself concerning himself right to rightly get and to paint a full and Uh, complete picture of who Jesus is we really do need to go back to and refer more often to Moses and the prophets and that includes the minor prophets that we will be studying so all Jewish history all Hebrew history all Israeli history is our history it's the history of the gospel that we need to be having a better grasp of to be able to explain to others Uh, our Messiah is rooted in understanding what God had done through Israel. So I raise a question for you here. How is Jesus's way of explaining the message of salvation different from the way you are sharing it today? Where did you learn how to share uh, the message of the gospel? If you read Stephen, Paul, and Peter's explanation, they follow what Jesus did in explaining his own reason for going to the cross. He refers back to the Old Testament and then through Moses and the prophet explains the deep roots of the plan of salvation through the Old Testament into his life and what he had done. Are you able to explain to your children or to a friend how Jesus is the fulfillment of all that was taught to us through the prophets of God of ancient Israel and still continues to be the message of deliverance the nation of israel bears for all of humanity because of the importance of israel's history and identity in the gospel message as jesus told it to us is it not important for us as well should it not be important you will also find interestingly that every demonic attack against israel will seek to undermine the land of israel his people Israel as vessels of his word and then also to delegitimize and undermine the history of Israel as a collection of meaningless fables told by wandering desert Bedouins Uh, that's often told a kind of lie that is being perpetuated um, all the time because secular academics are kind of using what happens typically with other um, kind of fable rooted uh, historical narratives to uh, a collection of stories told by wandering people in the regions of their own nations and so that must have been what happened with the book of the bible so this is why it is so important to go back to the original introduction the message of bsf chapter zero where we talk about the trustworthiness and authority of the scriptures as a beginning place for understanding everything else that the bible seeks to tell us a new area of apologetics, therefore, is a study of biblical archaeology. I just wanted to take some time to emphasize the side note that um, there are some really good YouTube channels right now that I'd like to recommend to you if you'd like to kind of build up your own apologetics for the reason of Israel and how importantly they figure into the gospel message. One is called the City of David. It's a collection of videos that are exploring excavation sites throughout Jerusalem as they're uncovering the original City of David on Mount Zion. And they're uncovering the roads that lead up to the temple. And uh, that's taking place right now. Uh, And and more has been discovered in the last 10 years on that site than they have ever in the past uh, 1,000 years. There's also another... uh, channel called Sergio and Rhoda, a Jewish couple who were brought up in the US, went back to Israel, and created a YouTube channel chronicling all the different archaeological sites that they came across that reaffirmed for for themselves the historicity of their own uh, belief in the Bible. And then the last one I want to encourage you to take a look at is called One for Israel. It's a collection of Jewish Messianic uh, Believers who are telling their stories about how they came to receive Jesus because they just saw uh, Jesus perfectly matched up to everything the prophets that they have read about have been pointing to. So uh, please check those out. The links to them are available in the description for this podcast and this uh, video. Jewish archaeologists have found the original city of David, and they're continuing to uncover major sites described in the Bible, including um, all the ones that we're going to be looking at in the minor prophets. So, you know, Jesus used the Old Testament scripture. You have to remember that he didn't have the New Testament. He wasn't quoting from his own disciples. He's quoting from people like Isaiah. He's quoting from the minor prophets. He's quoting the Psalms as a referent to helping his people understand who he is. And so our kind of uh, dexterity and our uh, kind of skill at understanding and using the Old Testament is something that we have to reconsider going back to learning how to deftly use in the presentation of the gospel. They are essential. God did not send Jesus out of context. There is a backstory. And without any preparation for us so that, you know, the life and purposes of Jesus doesn't have anywhere to kind of stand on, They won't have, and we won't have, a good full understanding of the entirety of human history and creation and fall and redemption and restoration. There are many ways in which the Old Testament enhances and magnifies our understanding of Jesus. If we did not have the Old Testament to rely on, we would just have a very kind of surfacy uh, notion of who Jesus is. And so how important it is that we all, including our children and the next generation of believers, to be rooted in the Old Testament, what the prophets have explained about the incarnation of our Lord and how he came to be the uh, sin bearer and lamb of God for our deliverance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we have for many years in our walk with you kind of sat on the ways in which we have been thinking about the gospel and received it ourselves in the tradition of men and not in the ways in which you have lived into it and explained it to your own disciples father forgive us for our short-sightedness some of us came much too easily into the faith because we were brought up in christian homes and things just came together so easily for many of us but for others it is not that easy and in some ways lord it is because we have not presented it as accurately and as clearly as we ought in an integral way that brings harmony to the old testament into the redemption provided in the new testament so lord help us in the rethinking and wrestling in the ways in which we can be better communicators of the wonderful message that you would have us to bear as we go back to the scriptures all of scriptures the pro- moses and the prophets have you li- and how you lived into fulfilling all that was preached to us through the prophets according to the scriptures and magnify you in the way we really ought to. We thank you and we praise you for this opportunity to do it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
1: You came to give us liberty And how I love you, my Lord How I love you, my Lord How I thank you for your gift of love to me. And I will serve you, my Lord. I will serve you, my Lord. For your precious blood has won the victory.